who gets to be the greatest? Who gets to be the greatest? Who gets to be the most powerful? Who gets to be the winner? Who gets to be the one who's the boss? This question, who gets to be the greatest, this is the question that many in our culture right now are asking and wrestling through. Who gets to be the greatest? Whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, whether it's the rich or the poor, whether it's the gun rights advocates or the gun rights abolitionists, who gets to be the greatest? Who gets to be in charge? Who gets to take power and rule? Who gets to be the greatest? In all of the divisions that we see in our community today, at the center of the majority, if not all of them, is this fundamental question, who gets to be the greatest? Who gets to win? Who gets to be in charge? And that question, powered, I believe, or at least to my understanding from Scripture, powered by this desire for power, this thinking that if we could just get more power, then we would feel more safe. If we could just take more power, then we would see uh, our way, which is obviously the right way, reign. If we could just take more power. And that, that idea, who gets to be the greatest, it's operating at the heart of the majority of these divisions. And I don't know if you've noticed, but these divisions, they're killing us. They're ripping us apart. You, you mention any issue, like, um, like if you go to social media, right, and you just give like your opinion, generally speaking, what you will, uh, if you haven't discovered it yet, what you will soon discover is that um, there's not nice things that people say. In fact, I'm, I'm concerned that we're allowing these conversations to be relegated to places like social media and it just, it feels like the world is a scary, horrible, evil place. And there's so many scary, horrible, evil people out there. And we get exposed to all their junk on social media. And then we can kind of feel like the world is just spinning absolutely out of control. And then that oftentimes creates within us fear. And so we feel like we need more power. We need to be greater in order to make ourselves feel better. And maybe, maybe social media is not your jam, which I totally get it. Uh, but maybe for some of us, we're, we're trying to make sense of the world by looking at uh, news media, and we soon discover that there's a lot of hate and rage that's being sold and generated within us as we're watching these us-versus-them conversations about who gets to be the greatest, who gets to win, who gets to be the boss, who gets to be in charge. In fact, even if you turned off all the hate-attainment and you logged off all of social media, just driving around in our neighborhoods and looking at the bumper stickers and the yard signs generates within us this reality, this fight for who gets to be the greatest. And if this is, all, if this is the best that the kingdoms of this world can offer to us, this, this wanton level of thirst for power, who gets to be the greatest, who gets to be in charge, which ultimately leads to fear-mongering, fear within our hearts, destruction, and corruption, the breaking apart of human relationships. The question that I, that I keep coming back to is, that, is there a better way? And I want to invite you to the better way. I want to invite you to follow the Jesus way. The Jesus way has a, a view or an answer to that question, who gets to be the greatest, that will radically change our lives, it will change our community. If we follow it, it will change the world if we give it a fair hearing. Who gets to be the greatest? Now, as a culture and a community, we're not the first ones to wrestle with this question. 
In fact, some of the earliest followers of Jesus were wrestling with the question, who gets to be the greatest? They, they, many of Jesus' early followers, which the Bible will refer to them as disciples, uh, they are jockeying oftentimes for power. In fact, I want to show us today, I want to explore with you a text in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, where this very question is posed to Jesus, immediately connected to him saying he's going to be crucified, uh, die, and rise from the grave, this question of who gets to be the greatest. And I want us to watch how Jesus engages this question, because I believe, in fact, I'm convinced of it, that if we can follow the Jesus way, Not only will it lead to blessing for our community, it will be an opportunity for us to receive 10,000 gifts of peace and joy, of calm, of wonder and awe and beauty. Though the road is difficult, I'm not going to lie to you, the road is difficult, the Jesus way is hard, but it leads to beauty and flourishing in a way that's often surprising. So I want to invite you in to, at least for the moment, consider following the Jesus way. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, uh, verses uh, 33 and on. I'll have it up on the screen if you have your Bibles and encourage you guys to follow along. Also, if you're in the room, you should have had a handout and then we've got the text there available for you there. Uh, the reason that we print that out is so you can follow along, you can make notes, underline things. If you disagree with me, that's a great spot to write down why you disagree with me. And then listen, I would love to talk about it with you later. That's, I'm not joking. I would love to talk with you about it. Uh, I believe that the best study of Scripture is when we can study it together with people that are different than us to get different perspectives, different opinions, different ideas. Uh, But because I'm preaching today and we've got a room full of folks, uh, dialogue is sometimes difficult, much to my dismay. So write your your, uh, debate topics down and we'll talk about it after. For those of you all that are joining us online, uh, I'd encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Again, Mark chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, just go to Bible.com and we're using the Christian Standard Version today. Notice the, notice the statement. So right before this, let me just give you a little context. Right before this, Jesus proclaims that they're going to Jerusalem, that he is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies, that he will be crucified, that he will die, and that he will rise from the grave. Notice the next thing that happens, okay? Notice the question. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? So from the time that Jesus proclaimed his death, burial, and resurrection, they're walking to a house in Capernaum, and they're doing what? They're arguing. So Jesus likely is leading the, leading the charge. He's walking. And by the way, disciple, it, it, it means someone who walks the Jesus way. So if Jesus, uh, let me ask you a question. Where is the proper place for a disciple of Jesus? In front of Jesus or following behind Jesus? So it's highly likely that Jesus leading the way and they're all following. And it's likely that Jesus is hearing like, how many of you guys have ever taken children on a trip? Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? What were you, and is it, is it common for them as, as um, image bearers of the kingdoms of this world? Is it not common for them to be jockeying for power? Yeah, can I get an amen from the parents up in this house? Okay, so for my junior hires and high schoolers that are here, you know this. Don't slough off the conviction that's coming from the Spirit right now. You know this. And by the way, thank God for like video games because at least it's like, okay, so um, <laughs> what are you arguing about on the way. What were you guys arguing about on the way? It's it's kind of like Jesus heard them arguing, but I think Jesus knew what was going on. I think this is an invitation for a smackdown. Watch this. But they were silent. This ever happened to you? Kids, what were you guys talking about? Because they know, right? 
Like they know. Because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was going to be what. So I just want you to catch the bitter irony here. Watch this. Jesus has just told them he will be he, God in the flesh, Jesus the Christ, right? The chosen one, the Messiah. Instead of killing Caesar and, and conquering Rome and taking over the cosmos and planting his flag, Jesus says the way that my kingdom is going to be established is through a crucifixion. And by the way, they do not believe him. They don't get it. I'll, I'll prove it to you. They don't get it because on the way, what were they arguing about? Who is going to be the greatest? They still have in their minds that Jesus is operating according to the power structures of the kingdoms of this world. That you got to be the greatest. That you got to reach out your hand and you got to take power. And Jesus has just told them, the way up is down. The way to the throne is with a crown of thorns. And they don't understand. So they're arguing about who gets to be the greatest. Who gets to be the greatest. Notice what Jesus says in 35. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, here's the smackdown. If anyone wants to be first, they must be Last, and a servant to whom? All. You guys ever heard this before? If you want to be first, right? You want to be first. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, what will you be? And, and if you want to be a leader, what kind, of, what kind of a leader leads in the kingdom of God? One who's a servant to all. Jesus himself. There's this one beautiful image where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Washing of the feet is a symbol, or, or excuse me, it's the position of a servant. Jesus says, the power, so here's the deal, the power dynamics in the kingdom of God are, under, uh, are upside down compared to the power dynamics of the kingdoms of this world. The disciples are arguing about who gets to be the greatest, which is a question that we ask when we're operating according to the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, the question is, who can I serve? Who can I elevate? Okay. He took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Here he's associating himself with God the Father. Notice here that Jesus, again, is elevating the lowly. By the way, children, especially in this culture, were considered to be marginalized. They were the outcasts. They didn't produce anything for the community, and therefore they were outcasts. But Jesus here receives the child, receives the marginalized into his space and says, anyone who receives a child receives me. Notice how closely associated, notice this, notice how closely associated Jesus is with the marginalized. Whoever welcomes a little child such as this in my name welcomes whom? Me. Whoever brings in, whoever elevates the outsider, whoever welcomes into the kingdom the marginalized is welcoming me. Jesus will frequently, throughout the Gospels, associate himself just as God the Father associates himself with the poor, the widow, the immigrant, and the orphan in the Older Testament. He so closely associates, he says, how you treat the marginalized is how you are treating me. If you think that sounds crazy, go home today and read your whole Bible. In fact, you don't even have to read your whole Bible. Just pull up a Bible app and type in the poor and read the over 2,000 verses that talk about God's listening to and associating with the poor, the marginalized, the immigrant, and the orphan. Okay? Okay, here we go. Oh, uh, Mary Healy, who's an excellent theologian, she says this, no one in their right mind would aspire to be a servant. 
She says, in Jesus' day, no one in their right mind would have heard this teaching of Jesus and thought, that's a good idea. In Jesus' day, this is what she says, the early church's embrace of this new ethic was part of what made Christianity so novel and attractive to many in the ancient world because in Jesus' day, it was just the most normal thing in the world that the rich keep getting richer, that the powerful keep getting more powerful, and that the servants and the slaves just keep, keep getting treated like trash. In fact, a common phrase in Jesus' day would simply be, know your place. So this idea of elevating others and actually humbling yourself and elevating others, no one in their right mind would have done this. And this is what piqued so many people's interest in Jesus. You guys know this, don't you, that, that this is how the kingdom works. Um, how many of you have ever eaten school cafeteria food? <laughs> Homies, are we doing this? Right? Or did you guys all just bring your own lunch? No, of course not, right? School cafeteria. How many of you felt really at home when it came time for seating arrangements in the school cafeteria? Right, school cafeterias are one of the first places, or one of the most vivid places that we see the kingdoms of this world at play. Because what happens in majority of school cafeterias is this, is that the stratification, the social stratification of who's in and who's out is seen very clearly at who's at which table. You guys with me so far? Right? And if you'll just pardon, my, if you'll just pardon me as a fellow young person, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the situation was different when y'all were in school, but as a fellow young person, you know, it's, it's like, it's like the, the, the emo crew, the jocks, uh, the smart kids, the cool kids, right, whatever. And, and I'm sure that the stratification has changed names, but it's the same idea, isn't it? It's the ones who are in and the ones who are out. And here's, here's what Jesus says. If Jesus were to cruise into that cafeteria where the social stratification was plainly evident and there was a group of people that were his followers that were all around the table and they saw an outcast sitting by themselves in the school cafeteria, what do you think Jesus would say to his group of disciples? Not just go sit with him. Give up your seat and invite him in. Be a servant to all. This is a right. No one in their right mind would do that in Jesus' day. And frankly, in this day where we're so tethered and addicted to power and glory, no one in our right mind would do it unless there's a better way, a Jesus way. As a church family, this is something that we try to put into practice. Let me just put some teeth to this. Um, what we're doing on Sunday mornings, worship together, is formative. I don't know if you know this or not. What we're doing together forms us, especially over time. It's kind of like going to the gym. You go to the gym once, you come home, you look in the mirror, and you're like, nothing changed. Everything hurts, and nothing changed, right? But if you stay consistent with it, with that healthy practice, you will discover that over time, that practice, that physical practice, is actually changing you, bringing you to health. It's similar to our corporate worship gatherings. We participate in a corporate worship gathering. We go home and we say, everything hurts and nothing changed, right? But one of the things I want to encourage you is in this, that, that the Scripture actually calls us to, to not neglect gathering together because when we gather together for worship, for prayer, for the hearing of God's Word, it's actually forming us. And here's... Here's how it's not forming us, by and large. What's generally not forming us is, wow, that was really high production value. Or, wow, they really nailed that solo. Or, wow, Caleb really alliterated that phrase really cool. That, that's not the formation. In fact, what we're doing, like, programmatically, simply sets the table for the 10,000 gifts that you have to receive and give in corporate worship. Here's what I mean. When we gather with a bunch of people who are different than us, which is our church, we're a bunch of misfits, when we gather, there are a thousand opportunities to defer to the other. 
Whether it's uh, bringing someone coffee and a donut and sharing a laugh before service starts, whether it's noticing that someone might not be in a space uh, where they're feeling encouraged and just visiting with them, uh, maybe it's seeing or sensing from the Spirit that the person seated down the road from you might need prayer, and you, you take that bold step and say, hey, can I just pray for you this morning? Or maybe it's seeing a need that's not in line with your own preferences or convictions, but deferring or elevating the other. And here's the deal. When we're all doing that, and I know that churches and, and our church, we, we've failed at this thousands of times. We're trying our best, but... But when we're all operating in good faith, deferring to the other, seeking to love and elevate the other, seeking to give up our seat so no kid sits alone at the table, you know what we discover when we're all doing that? Is that the tables all got congealed into one big massive table. We realized that we made space for each other and we learned something about God in the process. You see, when we engage in corporate worship together and consistently, we find that there's a thousand gifts given to us. Uh, a couple of the ones, um, Danny mentioned it a moment ago, one of the reasons why we do bilingual scripture reading, why we do bilingual songs, why, why we're really hoping to figure out how to do bilingual sermons and, and all that is not, uh, it's not mechanical. It's because it's forming us. Here, here, let me, if, if you, can you guys just pardon me for a second? I'm going to speak uh, on behalf as a majority culture dude. I don't, uh, I want to be clear. Um, yeah, okay, so let's do it. Um, I don't ever actually have to put myself in a position where I don't understand what's going on linguistically. But, but when I hear Teresa sing, it, it's an invitation for me to lean in, to elevate uh, the Spanish language and those of you who come from Spanish culture. It's a way for me to feel the joy of that with you, to celebrate what God's doing in and through that. And it's an invitation actually to participate in the multilingual, multinational kingdom of God now on earth as it is in heaven. Like, that's why we do it, because it's a means of deference, right? I'm going to defer, like, we can defer, and you can defer to me, and I can defer to you. Like, I, 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 I wear Dallas Cowboys stuff here, and you, ha- you suffer that, <laughs> right? And, and we defer to it. One, like, Danny did a country song. No. Right? But we did it, and we defer, and we defer to each other, and we, we elevate each other. We honor each other. This is the kingdom of God, that those of us who have uh, primary positions, positions of authority, positions of power, that we elevate the other on earth as it is in heaven. This is the Jesus way. And so whether it's laughing over a cup of coffee, whether, and here's, I want to I lean into this too. You know, when we sing, we're singing to each other. And I got to tell you, there's times where I need to hear my church family tell me the truth about who God is. Because there's days where I'm, I'm here with you, there's weeks where I'm here with you, and I, I don't know if I believe it anymore. And then I hear your voices telling me about the faithfulness of God, and your faith reminds me of my faith. That's the gift that you give to me, and it's a gift I give to give to you, right? The gift is not in, wow, we're singing so beautifully. The gift is, wow, this church family is centered on the truth of who Jesus is and wants to give each other these gifts. Deferring to one another, living, the first shall be last in all tenets. So I want to invite you to prioritize selfless worship, not, not to be a consumer and say, what's in it for me? Here's the deal. Have you guys ever heard it said, um, it is better, it is more blessed to give than receive? 
that, that famous line, right? It is more blessed to give than receive. If we posture ourselves around our worship experiences and our community groups and our Bible studies and our time together with our church family, if we posture it around what gifts do I have to give as opposed to what gifts am I going to receive, you will actually discover that you receive countless more gifts because it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I want to encourage you to prioritize selfless worship. When you gather together in settings like this, just asking the question, not what am I going to get out of this, but rather, what can I give? Can I pray with someone? Can I invite someone out to lunch? Can I share a story of encouragement with someone? Can I meet someone new for the first time? Can I offer to pray with someone? Whatever it is, what gifts do I have to give not to receive? Uh, Let's keep going. Oh, this gets better. Okay, watch this. John said to him, so John comes up to him and says, teacher, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about who gets to be the greatest, right? We're talking about power, the power dynamic, the honor, the power of honor and authority. Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons. By the way, is that a good thing, bad thing? Driving out demons, good, good idea? Does anyone think it's not a good idea? Just wondering, just, just wondering where we're at, fam. Okay, so uh, someone driving out demons in whose name? Remember Jesus just got done saying, anyone who uh, you receive in my name, Notice they were, that here's the stranger to us who's driving out demons, what, in your name. And we tried to do what? We tried to stop him. Why? Because he was not following, now, time out. Because he was not following, what do we think he's going to say? We think he should say, because he's not following you, Jesus. We, we think what he's going to say is, Jesus, there was this guy, and he was casting out demons, and we tried to stop him. Why'd you try to stop him? Well, because he wasn't following you, Jesus. That's what we expect him to say. But what does he say? We tried to stop him, Jesus. He was casting out demons in whose name? Your name. Remember, Jesus just got done saying, anyone who receives a child in my name. Right? He was casting out demons in your name, but he's a stranger to us. And you know what, Jesus? We tried to stop him because he didn't follow Huh. Well, that's strange. He doesn't say follow you, Jesus, which is what a disciple does is they follow the Jesus way. He says we don't, he doesn't follow us. Hmm. What might that mean for us today? In a community that is uh, racked with divisions within the church, uh, thousands of denominations splitting over differences. Sometimes warranted. Trust me, I'm not trying to slam it. We're a non-denominational church, so we're like the ultimate, you know, splitting off. What people always say, like I, when I go to like um, pastors' parties, which are boring. It doesn't. It's not fun. They're boring. Pastor party. Uh, when I go to pastors' gatherings, they're always like, "Well, what denomination are you?" I'm like, <clears throat> "Like the Lord, we are non-denominational." And they look at me and they're like, you're Baptists who have beer. I'm like, well, that, you're, okay, fine. Yes, you're right. Okay, so, right? We're not, we're, we're denominational. We just don't have a name for it yet, right? So, but, but here's the deal, right? What is John saying? Remember, we're talking about who's, who gets the power. And Jesus is talking about taking on the form of a servant. Then John sees someone doing miracles in Jesus' name, but he's not one of us, so we tried to stop him. Don't stop him, said Jesus. Watch this. Don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. 
Whoever is not against us is for us. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. So Jesus here dismantles this idea of, and and follow me here, that there's only one expression of what it looks like to follow Jesus. He dismantles that. So so I, I think this is a cautionary tale for any of us who think, who are Jesus followers, who think we've got it dialed in and anyone who doesn't do it our way we need to tell them to stop. I think Jesus says, hey, anyone who's following me, who's following in my name, don't stop them. Don't stop them. As a church family, we're, we're like so committed to this. Uh, we have relationships with hundreds of churches in the valley and around, uh, the country, around the world, actually. We love working with local churches. And it, our, 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 our posture is more towards support and encourage and work with than it is about trying to figure out who gets in and who gets out. If we're sharing Jesus together, that's what we need. That's all we got. We do things our way, right? We got our own convictions and, and practices in the church family. Uh, I'm good friends with uh, uh, Pastor Jeff at La Casa de Cristo. He wears robes to preach in, right? And Jeff and I have a good time at it. I mean, he's, uh, he's very, the, 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 uh, their congregation is highly liturgical, and I love that. And I love our congregation, and I love Tyrone's congregation just down the street. Their, their, uh, their tradition is Pentecostal, so it's way more fun than you. And, and I, love, <laughs> right, I love Harvest and Drew at Harvest, and I love Jason at Heritage, and I, I, I love the other churches. In fact, at least for me, being connected to these, other, these many other churches around the valley is one of the, just the beautiful joys of being a part of the kingdom of God here in North Phoenix. And I want to encourage you that you are part of something exponentially bigger than what's going on in this space. God is at work through all different types of congregations. I, I think just like we're a bunch of misfits bound together by the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus, so are a bunch of, like our local churches are all misfits bound together. We've all got our different ways and our different traditions, but we're on team Jesus, and so we're not going to tell each other to stop. We're just going to support and encourage. Um, and I, I want to be clear, it, and, and this is really hard so you can pray for us, and, unless it's toxic and abusive, which that does exist. And boy, is that a wisdom call. And so pray for your leaders. I was, um, yeah, I was talking to my good friend, Jason Fisher. He's at Heritage Church, which is just down the street. And we were, he was, we were kind of doing like a joint interview. Uh, we made like a little podcast. Actually, it's on our, on our church website as well as theirs. But we were just like interviewing each other about what it was like to pastor through 2020. And one of the things that he reminded me of is that a bunch of churches up here in North Phoenix, we kind of, we were praying through and trying to figure out, if you guys remember in 2020, there was this season we weren't, where we weren't meeting in person and, and we were kind of going into meeting back in person. And one of the things that we were praying through was, is there a way for us to regather all on the same day so that there's not this posturing of like, we gathered first, or, or look at us, we've got more faith in them because we gathered this day. We just didn't want any competition between the churches. He reminded me of that, and that, that's right. That's a beautiful example of how I believe that Jesus wants local churches to work together. Not in a spirit of competition, but collaboration. And so I, I want to invite you in to being committed to honoring and supporting and loving not only your local church, but the big C church here in Phoenix and around the world. There's so many gifts that we get to give each other. Maybe one day I'll get Jeff, I'll convince him to come and preach in one of his robes. You can see if you like it. <laughs> this next portion of scripture is hard, and I'm not at all going to resolve the tension. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, I think he's just talking about believers. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for them if a heavy millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea, which is often an image in the scriptures of death, kind of like the abysmal waters. He goes on. If your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go into hell. The word that gets translated there is, is actually Gehenna, which is a dump, uh, a trash heap that was just outside of town that constantly burned. Uh, hence the name, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter this life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. This is a really hard teaching, and I just want to give you a little note. Uh, we are committed to helping you and equipping you to discern your own convictions by the power of the Spirit. And I don't think, and I did not think, and still don't think, that I could do this text justice in the context of a sermon. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you. Uh, we have a series of uh, classes coming up this summer. They're, one t- they're one-off classes, which means it's one topic, one gathering. And we are hitting a variety of different topics, including uh, the kingdom of God and heaven and hell. So I want to encourage you, if you want to know more about this text and other texts related to heaven, hell, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world and this earth. I want to invite you to participate in that. We'll have many other opportunities as we get into the fall. Uh, But I just want to say as as your pastor, um, I think that conversations around texts like these are best done in dialogue, uh, more like the rabbinic style that Jesus models than they are in me just giving you my perspective from the text. And if you don't think I could, if you don't think I can't preach a good fire and brimstone sermon, you're off your rocker. But I, I want to invite you to join us for that. So it's called Summer Sessions. You can find more information in your handout. There's a link there. Just go to our website, dsbc.church, and uh, you can find those on the events tab for those summer sessions. But I wanted to land the plane here because I think this is helpful to us. Uh, the salt here language, salt was a preservative that also increased the flavor. I think the salt uh, that Jesus is referring to here is the, is the, the integrity and fervor of our faith the integrity and fervor of our faith. And I'll just show you why I think that is. Uh, Salt should not lose, salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt, notice this, have what among yourselves? So that's really interesting language. Jesus is keying off of a metaphor here. That would have salt among yourselves and be what? At peace with one another. So I just want to lean in here. This this saltiness, and, and we would love to talk with you a lot more about this. It's a beautiful metaphor. It's this idea of being seasoned with a fervent, true faith that has integrity. To, to live in a vibrant way the Jesus faith or the Jesus walk. I think that's what, like salt of the earth, being salt of the earth, I think, is where Jesus is riffing on here. But notice he says, to have salt among whom? Remember that the conversation that started this is who gets to be the greatest. And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest of all, you'll be what? Servant to all, right? That that, that the way up is down, that the way to the throne is through a crown of thorns. This is the Jesus way. And so having salt among yourselves is living the Jesus way vibrantly with integrity with whom? Each other. And as a community that lives the Jesus way, that gets salty with one another, that seasons all of our conversations and all of our interactions with the truth of who Jesus is and the teachings of how Jesus calls us to live, that if we salt ourselves, we will truly find what? 
peace. Now, this word shalom, it's not, it does not just mean the cessation of hostilities. Another way to think about true peace or true shalom is things are as they are designed to be. True human flourishing. And so if we live the Jesus way with one another, especially in a group of people who don't naturally fit together, and we season our interactions with the Jesus way, we will find true and abiding shalom. Now, this is not easy. The road is narrow. And for some of us, we may be aware that today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday, at least in in most Christian traditions, is is an opportunity to reflect upon that day of Pentecost where the Spirit of God descended on his church. And this Jesus way, living salt with each other, walking the Jesus way with each other, in a culture that so violently and loudly demands to know who gets to be the greatest, to live the kingdom of God now on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to face trials. We're going to face difficulties. We're going to face resistance. We'll even face failures with one another. But we're not in it alone. For the spirit of the living God is present with us.